morning, I want to begin by uh, bringing you a very important update on Stephanie Jackson. She is our children's director here at the church, and she's been diagnosed with a very serious melanoma on her foot, and she had surgery, and the surgery does indicate that that cancer has spread. And so she is scheduled for another cancer, another surgery around June 26th. You want to mark that on your calendars to be praying for her, at which time they'll be removing a number of lymph nodes to determine the extent of the spread and what kind of further treatment might be necessary. So the communication I had with Russ, um, he was very hopeful, um, but uh, obviously this is a very, very serious matter that uh, we would like our whole church to be faithful in, in praying about. So um, I trust that you'll make note of that and make that a matter of personal prayer, even as we do it corporately. Now, Stephanie was scheduled for a sabbatical this summer to be gone, and uh, it, evidently the Lord would have her convalesce from these matters during this time, which she sees as God's kindness to her. But as a result of that, Stephanie leaves really huge shoes in our children's ministry for us to fill, impossibly big shoes. These are like 22 double E shoes that the girl wears in ministry couple of people have stepped up. I want to make sure you know who they are. Jay Burke, he's kind of our roving pastor. He does everything. And uh, he's doing children's ministry this summer. And his wife, Christy, is also helping. She has a background in children's ministry. And uh, Becca Stone King is also helping. Those are people that are really stepping up to serve. If you have questions, concerns, suggestions, they are the people that, that you need to see um, with our children's ministry. But in spite of their um, service to us, uh, with Stephanie gone, there will be bumps in our children's ministry this summer. I apologize uh, for those of you who will be bumped. Having said that, what we must not do is complain about the bumps, okay? Doesn't help. Stephanie would not be pleased, okay? And there is one... One more important than Stephanie, who also is not pleased. So if, if you run into a bump, what needs to happen this summer is that you need to prayerfully roll up your sleeves and be available to serve smoothing out said bump. We need your help. And uh, the people who are serving, um, these three and others who are serving in leadership, are really doing their best. Uh, they don't need to be ragged on or complained about or, or to. They, they, we, we need to really be serving well in this ministry. And there are large gaps, having just birthed two churches in the last month or so, and with our, a lot of tr summer travel in our congregation, uh, there are going to be calls this summer for people to step up and sub in. Uh, I hope you'll do that with a glad heart. Bigger than usual. So, uh, having said all that, uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment and pray for Stephanie and Russ and for the word that's about to come to us by God's kindness. So would you bow with me, please? Father, we want to we trust you with someone that we love very much, with Stephanie Jackson, with her health. We pray you'd be kind to her, and the kingdom promises that we know will one day be ours of no more sickness, no more sorrow. We ask for um, just a payment ahead of time, an experience ahead of time of 
that which is sure for her. Uh, that you might bring health and healing to her body so that she can serve you at her best and give you glory for her health and healing. Pray for Russ and for her and for her family uh, as they wait for that. That you'd give them faith, that you'd increase their faith. God, we, um, we miss her. We need to serve well in her absence. I pray that you would grant us that spirit, that heart as a church. This might be a summer where we become more like Christ because of this. And may that be the effect of your word this morning, that Jesus would be loved and treasured and followed more by each one of us. We ask that now in his great name. Amen. So imagine with me that you're at the auction house. You're going to buy some uh, dining room furniture, and uh, you're, you're a little nervous because you're new to the auction world, and the stuff is pricier than you thought, a lot of antiques. Okay. And so you're standing around waiting for the items to come up for bid that you want to bid on, and you're reciting to yourself the two rules of buying at an auction. One, watch your gestures. A wave at a friend across the room can buy you a really ugly, really expensive vase very quickly. Okay. Rule two, know your limits. The thrill of competition in a bidding war can really drain your bank account in a hurry at an auction. Okay. So as you're standing there with your hands in your pockets, reciting the rules to yourself, a guy you don't recognize comes up to you and leans in close and says, next item, you should bid it all. You look over him, you say, excuse me? He says, when the next item comes up, you should bid everything in every account that you have. You should empty your bank account your savings account, your vacation fund, your rainy day fund, your emergency fund, your retirement fund, bid it all. He says, he winks at you and he says, you won't be sorry. And then he walks away. So what, what do you do with that? Um, w w would you do it on the advice of a stranger? What if he was a perfect stranger? What if the guy was Jesus? Would that change how you reacted to that advice? Bid it all, he says. You won't be sorry. See, that's, that is what Jesus says in the parables of Matthew 13 that we want to look at today. On the back end of Matthew 13, which is where we are in our study, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And, and I understand the Greek there to be very similar to the words for yard sale. <laughs> which a man found and covered up. And then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has buys that field. 
Now, the, the point, this is not one of the harder parables to figure out. The point's pretty clear. Okay, it's worth it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's worth it all. He says, you'll be glad you did. No regrets. So great is the joy, Jesus implies, of, of this find of treasure that you won't even consider the cost, which is everything, a sacrifice. You'll be glad to do it, Jesus says. Now, I'm curious. Just a show of hands will suffice. No whoops necessary. How many of you like to yard sale? Okay. I mean, like really like to yard sale. It's, it's almost a hobby for you. Might be a, close to an addiction. I, I, yeah. I know you're out there. You're not alone. Every week in our country, there are 165,000 yard sales. Okay. Some of you been to, to most of them. About three-quarters of a million people are frequenting those sales. They buy nearly five million items per week at an average of 85 cents per item. Now, some people, the really entrepreneurial ones, take these items and they resell them on eBay. The typical profit for a yard sale item resold on eBay is a 462% profit. It's not a bad profit margin. Of course, you don't want to get too excited because if you paid 85 cents for it, that means you made about three bucks per item at that profit margin. Now, how many of you despise yard sales? Like, flog me publicly, but don't make me go to a yard sale. Okay, I, I hear it. I feel your pain. Um, you you would have liked these yard sales. So there's this guy named uh, Warren Hill back in 2004. He's a, he's a record collector, like the old records you used to play on your stereo before CDs uh, came out, if you remember those. So he buys, he finds a record, and it's in a cardboard sleeve, and it has the words Velvet Underground. Uh, let's see if I can get, there they are. Velvet Underground written on it. This is the Velvet Underground. Um, he paid 75 cents for it. He got a quarter back from his dollar. And uh, that 75 cent investment ended up netting him about $24,999.25. It turned out it was the demo of the first album this band ever made. And uh, somebody really liked this band because they gave him $25,000 for it. Paid 75 cents for a yard sale. Um, another, a little girl was out uh, wanting to buy a coloring book, and she picked it up, took it to her parents. They bought it for uh, just a couple of dollars, I think. Um, it turned out to be the original art boards for the first issue of the Avengers comic book, uh, later appraised at $48,000. This one... Uh, this one is my favorite yard sale, one of my favorite yard sale stories. Um, you, you buy a bike at a yard sale, it usually was worth almost nothing to begin with, and it's worth less when you buy. It's rare that you find a really good bike. I like bikes, I ride bikes. Um, but this guy, 
saw this bike, and he thought it looked like an expensive bike, so he bought this bike for $5. It turned out that this bike had been custom-built for uh, the 2006 Tour de France winner, Floyd Landis. And then they had been transporting it. Some guys had been transporting it from one race to the next, and it had blown off the car. They got to the destination and realized the bike was gone, and they went back to find it. Somebody had already taken it, and they put it in this yard sale, and they sold this bike, which was worth $8,000 for $5. He took it to a local bike shop, and they said, you put that bike on eBay, in minutes you can sell it for four grand." Now, the one thing that you will not hear this guy, Mr. his name is actually George Estes, you will not hear George say about this whole deal is, man, I, I, I really hated spending five bucks for that bike. I really, I wish I had the five dollars back. Okay. That, that would be f- foolish. You'll never hear him say that. He's not going to say that. Why not? Because it was worth it. It was worth it. Way more than what he... So he doesn't even remember the $5 except, to, except as a comparison to the value of the bike. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. You should, with joy, drain all your accounts and buy the kingdom. Gladly. You'll never regret it. And in just in case we don't get it the first time, Jesus tells a second, a second parable. Matthew records it right next to it. It's just right here. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And here's the next verse. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Found one pearl, this businessman did went and sold all that he had and bought it. Pearls were um, like the diamonds of Jesus' day. Remarkably valuable. So the merchant sells all he has to buy this one pearl. It's sometimes called the pearl of great price, pearl of great value. Dale Bruner says the first main point of these parables is this. Joy is the engine of change. He says one could say that joy is the engine of sacrifice if it were not for the fact that neither the farmer nor the businessman thinks for a moment that he is making a sacrifice at all. Because of the surpassing value of the treasure in each case, selling was no sacrifice. It was smart business. It was a joy. Neither the farmer nor the businessman lost a thing. Both made Huge gain. Kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's worth it all. What is it about the kingdom of heaven that is so worth it? So worth it all. Now, the the simplest definition of the kingdom of heaven that I can come up with is simply the reign and rule of Jesus. And so, getting the kingdom for us is about submission to his rule, letting him be our king, becoming a member of his kingdom. And if you just look briefly through Jesus' parables about the kingdom, they reveal that the kingdom is unstoppable, 
It's worth far beyond its cost. It brings grace to all, far beyond what's deserved. It's populated by people wholly undeserving who are in great need. The humble are exalted there in that kingdom. And it's worth waiting for. You really want to be ready <clears throat> excuse me, when the kingdom comes because to miss the kingdom, Jesus tells in his parables, it's the worst thing imaginable. But the big deal in the kingdom is that the king is there and you get to live with him under his rule. You, you get to know and follow Jesus. That's the big deal in the kingdom. That's the great enticement. As Daniel says, that is the, what the good news of the gospel is all about. Now, uh, Daniel, is Daniel in here? Daniel Creswell, are you in here anywhere? Good. Okay, Daniel Creswell. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Daniel's favorite musician, Harry Connick Jr. His, one, of his, one of his top ten things that Daniel's ever got to do is to go, like, almost front row seats at a Harry Connick Jr. concert. And uh, Daniel would pay dearly for that experience. But imagine what he would pay if afterward it included backstage passes with Harry. Daniel Creswell would be out of his mind. Okay. But imagine then that it was backstage passes and then dinner with Harry. Daniel got to go to dinner with his favorite musician on the planet. Lindsay, lock up the checkbook if Daniel Creswell had a chance at that experience, right? For some of you, it would be somebody else. It might be Josh Hamilton, or it might be John Piper, or Lecrae, or who knows who. It might be the person that you would pay crazy amounts of money for, too much money from most of our perspective, if you could have dinner with that person. Dinner with them would be worth it. And really, that's why the kingdom's worth it. It's dinner with Jesus. The kingdom's portrayed as a banquet, and it's a banquet with Jesus. John Piper wisely says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw... <clears throat> all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? And the answer, I think we know deep down in here is no. No. The King, King Jesus, is what makes the kingdom worthwhile. It's what makes the kingdom worth it all. Because of that, Jesus says, in these parables, he says, this is the life of no regrets. You'll have no buyer's remorse with, with this purchase. Okay? You'll have no, the opposite of buyer's remorse, best I could do, window shopper's regret, okay, if you buy this treasure. It's interesting. Um, you talk about regret. There's some fascinating studies that have done about Apple's stock over the years. Their initial IPO uh, stock offering was on December 12, 1980. It was $22 a share. It's split a number of times since then. If you had had $5,000 to invest 
in Apple in 1980. Um, and you continue to reinvest in Apple, the, the profits, the dividends from that stock, that $5,000 would be worth $1,255,610.73 today. Dang, I wish I had $5,000 here's a Here's a little more reasonable one, and, and uh, we could have done this probably because we probably owned this. You, if you bought an iBook uh, when it came out in 2001 for $1,499, if instead you'd bought Apple stock, That'd be worth $99,747 today. You know, that's the, oh, I wish I would have bought that stock, you know, kind of a feeling. See, if you sell all you have for the kingdom, Jesus says you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. But it does imply there's a cost. To follow Jesus is not without cost, there are sacrifices. There are things that if you follow Jesus, you're going to say no to. There are things that you're going to embrace that will be hard. It won't always be health and wealth and comfort. Think about Jesus' disciples. They'd already paid a high price to follow him. They'd left family fishing businesses that would have come to them. They, they left profitable tax collection businesses. That was Matthew's gig before he followed Jesus. They'd been away from family, traveling for a couple of years. They've already paid a high price. They're surely going to pay a much higher price. Some of them, maybe most of them, as martyrs. And at some point, Jesus knows they're going to ask the question, is it worth it? And so Jesus teaches these parables, it's worth it. He wants his disciples to know it's worth it. So if in the process of following Christ, we get cancer, or we lose a job, or we have to move away from family, or we have to live somewhere where our children are not as safe as they could be here. I remember being in China last year and watching um, uh, the, the moms put their kids in Chinese taxis. Um, child seats are unthinkable. Seat belts are not existent in many of them. So it's arms around the baby. It's not as safe as here. Is it worth us if it costs us that kind of stuff? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Would you run those risks to follow Jesus? Or is there a line in the sand that you will not cross? A place where you won't go. A risk you won't take for the kingdom. Jesus is saying, even with those kind of costs, it's worth it. He's going to say it more explicitly in Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. It's worth it, Jesus says. Matt Woodley says, um, he tells a story of after the, the, the great earthquake last couple years in Haiti, down in Port-au-Prince. He says he listened to an NPR story from Florida about four American doctors who went to Port-au-Prince to bind up the wounded. 
When they arrived, they quickly immersed themselves in meeting the needs of 125 patients with horrific conditions, crushed pelvises, opening and oozing sores, broken femurs, cracked skulls. It was a scene of overwhelming loss, pain, and trauma, he says. But suddenly, the doctors reported something happened that changed everything. A Haitian man with a guitar entered the makeshift trauma ward, sat down in the corner of a large tent, and started playing a simple, quiet song. Without any coaxing or commanding, one by one, the patients started singing with a lone guitarist. The voices became louder and more joyful. Then the patients with broken bones and open sores spontaneously stood up and started dancing. Some of the healthier patients helped those who were unable to stand. At first, the doctors couldn't understand the words, although they heard the name Jesus. And finally, a translator gave them the words to the simple chorus. Jesus, thank you for loving us. The American doctors were utterly stunned, they said. They didn't have a category to explain this sudden outpouring of joy and praise. See, the category is the kingdom. And it's king. Jesus says, no matter what it costs, don't hesitate. Do it gladly. Go gladly. Serve gladly. Give gladly. You'll never regret it. You know, I, I did the math the other day. Got out the calculator. And I've been following Jesus for 38 years. Give or take a little. And I can say, honestly, I have no regrets. Actually, my only regrets are at points where I did not follow. That's where my regrets are. 38 years. I know you think that meant like I started following Jesus when I was two. <laughs> you just keep thinking that if you'd like. See, in Jesus' teaching and in the, in the Bible across the board, people who give it all, they're celebrated. They're like heroes. That's who you want to be like. Jesus points it out in, in Mark 12. He sits down opposite the treasury, right? He watches people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Remember this story? Poor widow came, put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She's a hero. She's, she's what these parables point to. She, she gave it all. The people who don't give all in Scripture, who don't buy kingdom... Well, they're called fools. Jeremiah 4 says, my people are fools. They do not know me. They haven't followed me. They don't love me. And this happens to us when we overvalue our treasure and undervalue the kingdom treasure. We undervalue the king. Don't be a fool 
and end up with a garage full of buyer's remorse one day. Jesus tells another parable. This one, all of his parables are so every day. This one's about fishing. You like to fish. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea, gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age, Jesus says. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's the idea is they have a dragnet, right? between maybe two ships, two boats, and they're dragging it through the water, or it might be fixed on, anchored on the shore, and one boat is sweeping it across the waters, and it is catching everything that is in the sea. And then the fishermen sort it out, good from the bad, edible from inedible, clean from unclean, keepers from the ones you throw back. And again, it's not real complicated. Jesus says, God's going to do that one day. There'll be a great sorting out, not of fish, but of people. The evil from the righteous. And the angels are going to carry it out. The focus in Jesus' story, it's not on the keepers. It's on the ones thrown away. Those who do evil. They get thrown into a fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Great unimaginable sorrow and anger. Now, if you were here last week, or if you've been reading along in Matthew... Doesn't this remind you of the parable of the wheat and tares, the wheat and the weeds that were sown together? It should sound real familiar. Listen to Jesus' explanation of that parable just a few verses earlier. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they'll gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's interesting to me that Jesus brackets these two treasure parables, the, uh, the treasure and the pearl, with two judgment parables, the wheat and the tares, and now this one of the net. Um, and, and I think he does that to show us the contrast between those who treasure the kingdom and those who don't. If you... If you don't treasure the kingdom and its king, then this great sorting out may very well wait for you one day, Jesus is saying. And there isn't any middle ground. There aren't fish they keep and fish they throw away and some that are kind of on the fence and they just, you know, they're kept or they're thrown away. You either shine like the sun or you face weeping and gnashing of teeth, this unimaginable sorrow. Now, this is doubly sobering when you think about the imagery that this is a kingdom net that's catching up all kinds of people, and those people are going to be sorted out one day. And while the kingdom in Jesus' parables is not the same as the church, it's bigger and broader than that. Jesus' rule is bigger and broader than that. The church does lie right at the heart or the center of the kingdom, center stage, if you will. So it's entirely possible this idea of people being caught up in the net and later sorted out to the greatest of sorrows could apply to the church. It could apply to our church. Some of you in this room could be facing that future 
unimaginable sorrow and rage. Does that make you feel uneasy? Could that be your future? How confident are you that you will be numbered amongst the keepers on that day, the righteous? It's a righteousness based on faith in Jesus, to be sure, but it's also in Matthew especially a righteousness that marks your life. It affects the way you live. Is that you? Is the kingdom and its king your great treasure? Do you gladly sacrifice to follow Jesus and to know him? Would you bid it all for the kingdom? Jesus has an, a question for his disciples at this point. He says, have you understood all these things? Do you get it? He said. And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Do you get it, Jesus asks? Particularly, he seems to have in mind the parables. Do you understand what I'm teaching you through these parables? If you do, you can teach truth both old and new. Augustine put it most simply. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament, he said. I love the way Dale Bruner says it. It says, reading the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, under Jesus' lordship, makes them come alive. They were made for him. And so, scribes trained under the kingdom of heaven are very important. Scribes being Bible teachers. And um, we are a church blessed with gifted teachers in our midst. So many of them. Uh, we have not just students who are great teachers. We have seminary professors like Mark and Sam and Chip and Ben and George who teach us the word. Um, these are men who are not just academics. But they are being discipled by Jesus daily in matters of the kingdom. And as a church, we are richly blessed. They bring us treasures, old and new. And, and brothers, we thank God for you. Well, this all plays out in a very sobering last little bit we'll look at today. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers and James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So Jesus finishes the teaching of the parables that we've been reading, and he goes to his hometown, and you would expect a parade, right? Jesus has come home. It's like if Arnold Palmer, who learned how to play golf on the little golf course here in Wake Forest, he came back, we'd have parade for Arnie because he's, he's, he's our guy. You think Jesus would get a parade, but no. They are offended by Jesus, his high and lofty words and deeds. They, here's a good word for what they did. They take umbrage at him. 
They are offended by him. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says that they got their noses out of joint. It's not the most literal rendering, but it's very colorful. Um, they're saying, who does Jesus think he is? We know his family. So Jesus had a family, brothers and sisters and all. And evidently his family were pretty regular folk. Nothing special in the eyes of the townsfolk. He's just the carpenter's son. He's just one of us. And they stumbled over him. They were scandalized by him. D.A. Carson says it's sad that every time in the New Testament somebody is scandalized by someone, that someone is Jesus. See, what they have done is they've refused to exalt Jesus above themselves. Rather, they want him to just be one of them, like them, among them. He's not their superior. He's not their king. He's just a carpenter's son. So they refuse to exalt Jesus above them and refuse to bow down before him as king. And we can do this too. It happens to us. It happens to us when we make Jesus just another voice we consult. Just another source of input, but not above us. We'll make our own choices. We'll hear what he has to say and then we'll decide. And that's so very dangerous. When Jesus is not treasured, his kingdom is not treasured above us. He's not obeyed above all others. When we treat him just like another teacher or another poet or another philosopher, maybe even if we just treat him as our favorite one. If he's not King Jesus, with everything that that means, then we face a danger of being sorted out one day. And it's... Interesting, but scary that the kingdom is then hidden from these people. That's why Jesus didn't do many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. The mighty works were signs and pointers to the king and the kingdom. And Jesus does not give them to them because of their unbelief. It's a parable-like act. People reject Jesus, he teaches in parables and he cloaks truth from them. People's hometown reject Jesus. They take offense at him, and he doesn't do many great and mighty acts that point to the kingdom in their midst. And as a result, Jesus never returns to Nazareth again after this. He never goes back home. So, before we leave today, you need to know there's a great sorting out that's coming. Jesus talks about it often. We've heard him. And you, you want to be a keeper on that day. You want to be among the righteous, those who treasure the kingdom and its king such that, such that they will gladly pay any price to know him and to follow him. Anything, anything at all, everything. Just let me know, Jesus, and I will follow you. Are you there? Can you say that? Will you say that? Will you say yes to Jesus? We say yes to the kingdom above all other things. You'll do what Jesus asks you to do. You'll do that in your marriage. You'll do that with your children. You'll do that towards your parents. You'll do that where you work. You'll do that where you live. You'll do that if you have to move. You'll earn less, give more, serve when it's inconvenient. Will you say yes to Jesus? Will he be your great treasure? Can you say it with joy?
But today we want to give you a chance to renew that choice. To commit to bid it all for the kingdom once again. But maybe you've never done that. Maybe you think that the great sorting out that's coming, you think about that and, and you're not sure where you'll stand. Um, you should be sure. You should make it sure. You should bow the knee before Jesus and ask him to save you from the consequences and the rulership of your sins in your life. And if he'll do that for you, you'll follow him all of your days. And as we respond, the worship team's going to come and lead us in response. Um, if you want to come forward and pray with one of our leaders down front here during this time, we'd love to pray for you. Whether it's just reestablishing this lordship or whether it's for the very first time of submitting to it. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll worship our king. Lord, have mercy on us all. Grant us faith to believe and to follow to treasure the kingdom and its king above all things. Grant us joy in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship.
Thank you. 